When you know that you have not been living up to what your gift of life should be to God out of gratitude of what he's done for you, mm-hmm. it deserves and I'm sorry. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with author Crystal Evans Hurst. She says that you don't have to find time, you make time to have conversations with God. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. If you are brand new here, here's what you need to know. In this community, we believe that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We believe in the 12th century definition, which says it's about the condition of well-being. And we break that down into our six pillars of wealth. And one of them is faith. And right now you have caught us in our faith pillar series. It's called Faith Works. And I was really encouraged to, to do this series because I need somebody out there to know that no matter what it is you're trying to do, what legacy you want to leave, what wealth you want to build, I just don't believe it's going to happen without that faith pillar being strengthened. So for this three-part series, I'm tapping into all the resources I can to make sure that our faith is strong. If you want to learn more about the six pillars of wealth, go to patricewashington.com forward slash start here. That's patricewashington.com forward slash start here. Download the free audio training and listen in. It'll be less than 30 minutes, but you'll get the full rundown of what we believe, what the pillars mean, and you'll get a quick assessment so you understand what pillar you might want to start with first. But today we are in the middle of this faith work series. So let me introduce you to our guest, Crystal Evans Hurst. She's an energetic, life-loving girl next door who loves encouraging others to fulfill their potential in Christ. With humor and vulnerability, Crystal tells it like it is, but does so with grace, integrity, and love. She is the best-selling author of the new book, The 28-Day Prayer Journey, which is out this September. You can also find Crystal regularly sharing encouragement via her podcasts and blogs, where she poignantly reflects on faith and speaks with frank honesty about everyday experiences of women. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Crystal Hurst. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth Podcast, Crystal. Thanks for having me with you, Patrice. Glad to be here. I have been looking forward to speaking to you. And before we dive in, I just have to get straight to it. I read this in the bio and I I had to rub my eyes and go back over it again. I said, I don't. I don't think that this is right. Does this bio say that she has five children and she homeschools three of them who are all boys? I I do. The two girls are grown and gone. They were homeschooled too, but I'm left with the three boys. Boys are different than girls, but they're good. (laughs) And the way we are struggling, do you laugh at those of us who are now (laughs) doing virtual learning and making such a big deal out of it? Do you sit back and just chuckle and go, look at them, bless their heart? You know what? I, I don't. I, I feel for you. I don't sit back and chuckle. I just, I just uh, think, you know what? They'll figure it out. It'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I am really excited to get into your new book, The 28-Day Prayer Journey, A Daily Guide to Conversations with God, because I've known who you were for years, right? I read Fervent by your sister, Priscilla Schreier. I've watched War Room. My mom used to love your dad back in the day, Tony Evans, right? So I knew who you were. And when I started to read the book, to read that even you have had seasons of falling off in your prayer life, I was like, well, I'm gonna be okay then. I'm gonna be all right. If Crystal has had this experience, then the rest of us, we might be okay. What was your inspiration for putting this out in the atmosphere and being so transparent? Because you didn't have to be. Well, the thing is, you mentioned Fervent with Priscilla, the movie War Room. And when she wrote Fervent, she dedicated it to my grandmother. My grandmother had spiral notebooks. She prayed for her grandchildren. And I was thinking, dang it, my grandmother's a prayer warrior. My sister has a book out on prayer. There's a movie out on prayer. What am I doing with my prayer? What am I doing? My thing is not that I don't talk to God. I actually feel very confident about talking to God, saying whatever I need to say, when I need to say it, and how I need to say it. While I do want to honor and respect Him, I know He can handle it. My questions, my emotions, but I wasn't praying consistently. So the thing for me was the Bible says clearly pray without ceasing and without ceasing means on an ongoing basis. And I was not doing that. It was just when I needed to deal, you know, with something. And so, um, so yeah, so that was kind of the impetus for that. And uh, I started that prayer challenge just to get myself in the daily habit, multi times a day praying. That was years ago. And I didn't, I wasn't trying to write a book. I was just trying to be consistent, show up every day and say something to God that mattered. Yeah. I love that you say multiple times a day because once I, you know, really start to dig in, I'm like, okay. So for some people who are struggling to pray daily, when I got into the book, I realized that you had morning, afternoon, and evening time to kind of think through. So I was like, this is 28 days, but these are like, 80 something, <laughs> like 80 something prayers. So how did you come to that though? If it was already a struggle with consistency daily? Well, cause a part of the consistency issue for me was just remembering to do it. And so what I tried to do was take the remembering off and just making it a part of my day. We don't remember to eat. We don't remember to sleep. We don't remember to have conversations with the people who we live our lives with. You know, it doesn't mean we don't need a level of consciousness, you know, because you can remember how to drive and totally don't remember how you got from home to work. It was remembering that was this thing that every day, okay, I got to set aside this time for prayer as opposed to, it's just a part of what I do. It's just a part of how I'm operating. I mean, when you think about it, you're dating a guy, you're in high school, you're in college, you don't remember to call him. It's just a part of how you operate because you are interested in ongoing communication with that person. So something happens in your life, you pick up the phone. I mean, nowadays they don't do that. They text. Then something exciting happens, you shoot a text. You know, you see something funny, you take a screenshot and you share it. It's not remembering. It's just this ongoing connection with somebody that you are choosing to nurture by, by communicating on an ongoing basis. So that was the thing. And at the time when I did this, it wasn't three times a day, it was five. It was early morning, mid-morning, lunchtime, afternoon, 
evening and before bed at six. Wow. It was six. So that because the goal was, and, and when people would say to me, oh, I missed one. No, you didn't. You didn't miss it. Just now that you have, have awakened to the fact that, oh my goodness, I haven't really talked to God in the last four hours. So just catch them up. It's not a box to check. You know, it's a way to live. And so that's kind of what that was about, finding a new way to live in terms of that communication with God. Oh, I love that. It's not a box to check. It's a way to live. I love that. So going through the days, um, the first thing that you started with was thanking God for salvation and, and just people who have strengthened your faith. And that was so powerful for me because I realized that at 39 years old, I've probably been to eight or nine different churches, right, at this point. And mm-hmm. all of those people served me well in building my faith in those seasons. And I think you kind of move across country and you go from place to place and you get settled in a new ministry in a new church. And I don't think I ever really stopped to go back and think through people at different points in my life. I started to think about Bible study teachers and I was thinking about Sunday school when I was a kid and all the people who really have helped shape my faith over the years. And I I just really didn't know how powerful that would be until it was brought up in that moment. And I haven't really seen it mentioned much in other prayer books that I've, you know, read or listened to. Why was that important to start with? Well, you know, this idea of being grateful, it's like we are grateful for what we have. We're grateful that we got what we wanted. We're grateful that God answered a prayer. But there are so many things to be grateful for that we don't really, they don't get the spotlight. You know, be grateful that you have a job. Be grateful that you have a car. Be grateful that you have your health. But what about every milestone in your life, which is represented by people who without their input in your life, you wouldn't be who you are today and you wouldn't be able to to do what you're doing today, especially in terms of your faith. And I think when you look back and you say, man, Look at how God intentionally put people in my life to add to my faith. Now, you know, and and at the time it was that mean old Sunday school teacher who was, you know, who made us memorize the scriptures. But it's because I had that Sunday school teacher that some of those scriptures are deeply embedded in my heart, mind and soul. And so when you say, man, what I have today is a gift that God made sure somebody told me about Jesus, that God made sure that I had the upbringing that I had or that I didn't have an upbringing, but God made sure that he brought somebody into my life when I was 24, when I wasn't even looking for Jesus. And it totally blew my mind to see how God has nurtured you or intersected with your life and to say, wow, like what would I be had these things not happened? I think it's a waking up to the goodness of God that we don't, that doesn't tend to get the spotlight like some other things do, but it's just as important. It was, it was. And and I really, I took it with me to Hilton Head. I went for my daughter's birthday and I was just reading it in the mornings. And it literally took me down this path of just being so grateful for, like you said, just that all the people, and yes, I had the mean Sunday school teacher, like all the people along my path though, that really just helped shape who I am, you know, through, through those Mm -hmm. different moments in my life. There's, there's something else that came out where I was like, I completely feel her. It was when you said the part in prayer that you don't really like that much is repentance. (laughs) And I was like, girl, me too. Who wants to admit that they're wrong? I mean, nobody. 
<laughs> I was like, girl, me too. And you asked some really great questions um, there, but you said repentance is not so much about finding fault as it is about finding freedom. Can you mm-hmm. kind of break down what repentance is and why it's important as a part of our prayer life? Well, we understand this philosophy that in order to have great relationship with somebody, there can't be stuff and there can't be an elephant in the room. You, you know, you're, you have a good friend, you or she did something that offended the other. You can't get past that. Even when you try to, you're being polite, you know, you're being kind, but y'all both know that a week ago, you or she said something to the other person that, you know, was kind of loaded, which, you know, and it's like, we, we've never dealt with that until you deal with it. You're not free to move forward in that relationship. And if that relationship meal, means something to you, you're not free to move forward in your life. Well, the same is true of God. God is a relationship that we have and that we get to nurture and maintain. So just because he's God, what makes us think that a holy God, when we've offended him, that there's not an elephant in the room and he's just looking at us like, you keep asking me for stuff that you have not dealt with. The fact that last week you offended me, your sin offended me and we're supposed to be in relationship and you did something that you know was, um, was sinful, was offensive to me that divided our fellowship because I can't fellowship with you when you're not doing right. And you have not acknowledged that yet. How can we have a full conversation about all these other things that are going on in your life when you have not acknowledged the thing you know good and well was not all right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think if we can start to say God is a person and when we pray, we are in conversation with a relational person. That person, just like any other person in our life, doesn't want to be offended and doesn't want offense to be ignored. And so when we repent, all we're saying is, yeah, I know I did that. I know I said that. I know I wasn't a good representation of you. I didn't honor you well. I know that I have not been, um, you know, honoring to my husband, careful with my kids. I haven't been excellent on my job. I've been lazy. I mean, we think about a big sense. Okay. I know I shouldn't have slept with that guy. Okay. I know I shouldn't have, you know, lied about that. I know I shouldn't have kept my tithe because I want to go on vacation. I mean, we know those things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I shouldn't have cussed that person out. But do we think about, man, like on a daily basis, I'm not operating in excellence because the Bible does say whatever you do, whatever, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. And so when you know that you have not been living up to what your gift of life should be to God out of gratitude of what he's done for you. Mm-hmm. It deserves, and I'm sorry, it's relational. Yeah. I love that part there too, when you broke down like certain questions to think about and, and how your sin hurts others. And one of them was, does your addiction or habit waste time, money, or energy that could bless others? And I was like, oh, that's not something you would ordinarily just think about. Right. Nope. And the thing is that there's a lot of things I put in that book. Cause remember these were things I was, these were, these were, this was commentary. I was writing on a daily basis, multiple times a day, as I was praying, I was just sharing. And I just asked the Lord, okay, what else can I say? I'm sorry for, cause I haven't done anything big today. I haven't done anything wrong, wrong today. Like what else could I have done that offended you? And then those little things, you know, start coming up. It's like, oh, you're a person. 
and I shouldn't offend you. Like this is not, but you're right. Those, those little things are what gets us. But here's the thing. The holy is in the small things and we want to be holy rollers, but holiness is that I feel like my home, I light a candle and I turn on worship music. I'm setting the atmosphere, but I'm also setting the atmosphere every time I open my mouth. When I talk to the people who live with me, that is a part of the atmosphere too. And if I feel like it's holy when I have a candle burning, it's a good worship music, but there's trash coming out of my mouth and I'm unkind. I just ruin the atmosphere. You know, I, I love how Maya Angelou said, words are living things, you know, and the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Words paint your walls. And so how am I any less, how am I any less holy or more holy with the atmosphere set for worship when I'm unkind to the people who live next to me and I'm not building them up like the Bible tells me to, and I'm not encouraging like the Bible tells me to, but I'm crass, mean, rude, demeaning because of my own frustration. Well, God created me, but he also created them too. And I would think that that's offensive to a God who not only wants me to set a holy atmosphere with my praise, but also wants me to set a holy atmosphere with my words to create a great atmosphere for those he loves to flourish. So when you start saying, what am I doing? That's getting on your nerves. Because listen, if you've had a roommate, it doesn't take much. You know what I mean? That person get on your last nerve. My best friend in the world, wide, whole wide world. We've lived together and we've been friends almost 40 years. And let me tell you something, 30 years, 30 years. I want to age myself too quickly. She knows if you come to my house, because we live together, do not drink the rest of the orange juice. Don't. Like, you can have it, but ask. But don't come into my house and drink the last of something, not say nothing, okay? That's offensive to me. How does she know that that's offensive to me? Because she knows me. So some things, that's where we get the big things and the little things. We know them because everybody else in the world goes, ooh, you know, you shouldn't have done that. But what about all the little things that are offensive to God that we only are made aware of when we spend the time getting to know him. I think spending the time getting to know him is a, is the work of prayer, but the actual getting to know him is the gift of prayer. Mm, that's good. So when you talk about having these moments, now it's three in the book, but when you were doing it six, are they moments? Because I can imagine people going, well, how long do I sit and contemplate this? How, like, what is acceptable? If there is some acceptable time, what do you tell people who are, who want to do this, who want to make it a part of their life and receive that gift of really getting to know uh, the God they say they serve, but the practicality of incorporating it throughout the day? Well, I used to listen to this radio show. It was um, um, it was by a guy named Tom Dooley. Came on early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. I'd get up, I'd get ready to it. I would listen to it, go to work with it. He would play music and talk, and music and talk. And uh, he had this thing where he he called them breath prayers, and he had it where you could get it, download it, and I'm sure somewhere I have it printed out. It was just breath prayers, and his whole thing was. You don't have to have this whole time to talk to God. You just give him a sentence or two, a thought, a half a thought. He can fill in the blank. The point is not that you have these liturgically long prayers. The point is that he's a friend. He's a father. 
and he wants to hear you? Are you taking advantage of the opportunity? And so stop making it a big thing. So to take the pressure off, he gave us these breath prayers. And in the mornings, you know, in between a song, you know, Israel, Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth for always. And he would say, Lord, you have been good to me. Thank you for, and he'd say, fill in the blank. And then he'd play another song. So he took the pressure off of you coming up with these long prayers. He just said, just, just open up the gates of communication. And so for me, I find that I'm a better prayer person when I'm not trying to set aside 45 minutes at the end of the day to get on my knees and pray. I'm a better prayer person when I'm driving down the road and somebody comes to mind and I'm like, Lord, I don't know why you brought them to mind, but I'm going to pray for them right now. I pray that you would meet their needs and I pray that you would let them know that you're near. And then if I'm so motivated, I might text them and say, just pray for you. And I get so many people that will reply to me and say, girl, I cannot believe you texted me right when you did, because this is what's happening in my life. And it didn't come because I got down on my knees and because I had my spiral notebook. It didn't come because I had this, you know, this long drawn out prayer. It came because in the middle of my day, I had a thought, an impetus to pray a breath prayer for a person. And they needed that. I mean, they needed it too. We have to take the pressure off of these 30 minute, one hour travailing prayer times. I'm not saying you shouldn't do them. I'm saying, don't let that be a barrier to you doing something. Mm, That is so good. The breath prayer. I love doing that too. I love when someone says, I just prayed for you out of the blue. And I love doing that for my girlfriends too. You know, in just being obedient. I don't always say, oh, I just prayed for you. Um, Sometimes I text and say, how can I pray for you if people keep popping in my head? And it's like you said, people will be like, oh my gosh, friend, you have no idea. (laughs) Like I needed that in this moment, you know, and that obedience because we're all so connected. I've never found that I tell someone, oh, I just prayed for you and they weren't grateful. No matter what their belief was or what they had going on. I've never had someone say, "Mm, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think one of the um, most unused tools for evangelism is, can I pray for you? Because if you, if you say something, can I, can I tell you about the gospel? You may not get an affirmative response. You may say, okay, I love Jesus. Can I tell you about Jesus? You may, but I don't know anybody who, if you say, listen, I'm just impressed right now to to pray for you. Can I pray for you? But that is a wide open door to meet a felt need to say, I'm praying for you. You know, how can I help? And I think it's a tool that we're not using that would open up a lot of doors, even with relationships that are difficult. You could be mad at your spouse, but something softens in them when you say, I know we're at odd ends, but I know that you're going through a lot at work still. And is it okay if I just pray for you? It softens things. It's a tool to use for sure. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm thinking of how many times that's been like my, you know, there's these memes that talk about how wives don't say I'm sorry, which I I apologize. (laughs) But the meme was wives don't say I'm sorry. They just say, what do you want (laughs) to (laughs) eat? I'm just thinking about how many times I've been like, well, let me go ahead and pray for you before you leave. <laughs> like that's, the, that's the like, that's how you know I'm not mad at you anymore. I'll pray for you. The next thing that you talk about that I really, really like is that you got into the ask. And it was talking about 
really understanding, asking for needs and wants. And that sometimes we limit what we ask our father for, right? But you started first with listing all the wants. And then you went down in the afternoon, it talked about getting to the needs. And I felt like it really added another layer of gratitude in just in the way that you structured it. Because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it it made me feel like by the time you got to the second part, you realized that you already really had most of what you (laughs) like most of what you needed and Mm -hmm. that separation between needs and wants really makes you have another layer of gratitude. Was that intentional? Like break that down. Yeah. I think that we get so caught up in our wants a that we don't recognize how many of our needs we don't have to ask for. But I think it also is important to say There is a difference between the things I want and the things I need. And it's okay to ask for both. It's okay to not feel like it's this one big pot of all the things I could ask God for. But to say, you know what? You said you would meet my needs. You told me to cast my cares on you because you care for me. Well, here are my actual needs. I also think it serves us well to know that there is a difference between the things we want and the things we need. And by Praying for the things we need, it gives us a greater opportunity to see God at work because he is so gracious to meet our needs. And while we can ask for what we want, we have to understand that sometimes what we want now is not what we want later. What we want God to do has a price attached to it. And he knows that and we don't, so he doesn't give it to us. And so if we only bank God's answers to prayer on our wants, we're missing the story because there are things that we need that God would be happy to supply as well often. And you had this quote in there by Pastor Dave Willis, if God answered all your prayers, would the world look different or just your life? And that started to get into this idea too of not making your prayers all about you, but you had the family and friends, you know, listed. And I have a, a real confession, real life confession. I will pray for like, the United States and like for my community at large, but I have never prayed for my neighbors by name Mm. and reading. I start listing my neighbors. I was like, okay, on the left, we got Mr. John, (laughs) like so-and-so like I will do a blanket prayer, you know, over my town, but never really was intentional about praying for my neighbors, especially because I know so many of them by name it's, it never occurred to me to pray for their needs. And why was that an important element to include? Well, because I think when we think about prayer, the first thing that comes to mind is, what do I want? And there's so many things to pray about, but I don't think we really get schooled in the power of breaking things down and bringing all these things to God, you know? I mean, think about it. If you are, and I, go, I keep going back to marriage because it's a good illustration of this relational prayer, but you may not care what your husband does all day. You may not be interested in the least, but choose to ask him about what's going on at work and act interested. You'll see him light up because he's glad to know you're interested in what he's interested in. You know, it's the wife cooking dinner. And her husband wants to be intimate at night. And she's like, intimacy started when I was doing the dishes. You know, you needed to be interested in my life when it had nothing to do with you. Well, when we pray for other people, we are interested 
and parts of our lives that are of meaningful um, stature to God, even if it has nothing to do with us. God cares about loving our neighbors. That's what he cares about. And when we pray for our neighbors, we're getting into a conversation God wants to have. So it not only invites us to be a part of the process of what God wants to do in this world, it also invites us into doing something that's what matters to God. So we don't have to feel this weight then of, I'm always coming to ask him for something. No, here are all the other things you can pray for. And here are some things that we already know matter to God. That's so good. That is so good because I hear that as a barrier. You know, people feeling like, I don't want to bother God. Like, I don't want to keep talking about myself. I don't want to keep asking for the same thing. But those are things I legitimately hear. But you're right. We don't always fill it in. And even with the mundane things, I I remember um, in the book you talked about when Priscilla was, I think, creating the war room and how you were praying for her, praying for the success. And, and it was something about thinking, but do I pray for her everyday like tasks? Like, am I even concerned about the everyday little things that, you know, we do as moms, wives, people that wear many hats? Do we think to think about people before it's a big thing, before it's a crisis? And yeah, Sally, I would exactly. say not, not all the time. Well, and that's why this discipline of prayer comes in. It's like, what can I talk to God about today? And you know that it doesn't matter. You're dating that guy. It doesn't even matter. Y'all just sit on the phone. You just sit on the phone. You fall know? asleep. Fall asleep. Fall, fall you asleep, hang up first. <laughs> talking about whatever. And so the thing is, is we just keep the lines of communication open. So I think what this book hopefully does is gives you poignant areas to pray about that are effective for you but that also gives you some things to talk to God about when otherwise you might say, well, we're not talking about anything. Well, here are some things to talk about while you hold the phone. That's good. I just really love that the whole thing felt very non-judgmental, mm-hmm. that it was not a beat up on not doing it, quote unquote, right. It felt very, you know, you shared a lot of the things that you struggle with and you use like humor in there, sharing your own bits and pieces of, of your story and your experiences. And I just love that it felt doable, even though it was have these thoughts three times a day, you know, type of thing. It didn't feel, it just didn't feel heavy. It felt natural. Good. That's, yeah. that's the goal. And I think communication with God can be just that natural communication. That's awesome. Is there anything else you want to just share with the audience about the 28-day prayer journey? Yes, I think that the goal is for you to start it and finish it. If you can start it and finish it in 28 days, awesome. If it takes you 56 days, finish it. The point is to continuously use this just as a tool. It's not the holy grail. It's not all the things you should ever pray to God. It is a tool for you to be mindful of this opportunity. And then for you to remember what you prayed about, which is why there's room to write in there, that we don't pray these prayers. And then 10 years later, we, we never remember that we can go back and see, man, what was I working on? What was I talking to God about? And I remember when that time I was talking to God about that, I was so stressed and I didn't know if it was ever going to work out. And here I am 10 years later. Not only look how he answered that prayer, but he took care of me. I think that's what we have to start doing, mm-hmm. being intentional, you know, about looking 
at all the things that God is doing and that wants to do in our lives because we're talking to him. Mm. Yes. All right. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you a few redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. You're going to just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. All right. The first one is how do you define success? First thing that comes to mind is being at peace, doing what you're called to do, living to the, the, the rhythm of your own drumbeat. Love it. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Enough, generosity, and I'm back to peace. Love it. We get that here. Let's see. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? One book that has redefined how I see wealth. The Purpose Driven Mind, which is not about money, but about purpose. Yes. We def- we uh, Rick Warren. Define- yeah. Well, we define wealth by more than money and material possessions. It's well-being. Yeah. So yes. all we talk about is purpose. So perfect. And the last one, you're going to fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Crystal. And the truth about wealth is that if it's just about money, you'll always be chasing it. But if it's more about your purpose, you can find it and enjoy it for the duration of your lifetime. Come on. If that's not a perfect chase purpose, not money, definition, explanation, that was perfect. Thank you so much, Crystal. Congratulations on the 28-day prayer journey. Thank you for being here. I know this conversation is going to be a blessing to so many. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. Wasn't that good? I really love that Crystal's approach is so down to earth. You guys know that I spend a lot of time in the prayer closet in the morning, but I do have these moments of just talking to God throughout the day. And I really believe that conversations with God throughout the day and having this relationship built is what truly builds the resiliency. It builds the muscle. It builds you know, the solid foundation to be able to deal with whatever life is throwing at you because it's not a matter of if, right? It's when. And when you already have this muscle built and you know how to tap into God's voice and his word and just be in that constant communication, I mean, any relationship that you have grows when you nurture it. And I love the 28 day prayer journey. I just really like the way it makes you dig a little deeper and think more thoroughly and intentionally through your prayer life, who you're praying for, what you're praying for, what you're repenting for. Um, Just a really great journey. So the 28 day prayer journey, a daily guide to conversations with God is on sale now. Check it out. Um, Remember, Like Crystal says, holy is in the small things. And remember those breath prayers as you go throughout your day, that it doesn't have to be some big orchestrated um, event, that this just becomes a way of life, like eating and talking to friends and sleeping. It just becomes a part of who we are and what we do. So 
hope that serves you. Let's talk about it over in the Redefining Wealth Facebook community. You can find us there. It's completely free. I would love to hear more about what you thought about this episode. And if you're going to take some of these nuggets into your life, make sure that you connect with Crystal. All of her information will be in the show notes, including a link to purchase the book and let her know that you found out about it, about her here on Redefining Wealth. And we'll be back next week with the third and final installment in this Faith Works series. Until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later.